You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. I want you to know, brothers, that, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am but put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ has proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. All right, good morning. Ah, I love that. Uh, Okay, so before we get started, um, last week, Zach introduced something new for us at the Vine of a kind of Q&A time at the end of the sermon. So as you're listening today, if you have any questions, anything that comes up, anything you want to ask or think about, uh, send those questions to John Centennial. Where is John? John's gone. He's out there. He's here, I promise. Uh, Send those questions to John Centennial, um, and and he's going to, like, send them to me, and then we'll talk about them afterwards. Um, Don't expect anything to, like... You know, Zach did great last week. Lower the expectation down a few notches there. Um, but I've got backup from some people who probably don't even know their backup. But it's going to be great. Uh, okay, so we're continuing in the book of Philippians. And we're uh, here in this passage today that Morgan just read for us. Uh, and we're, we're following this letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the church in Philippi about 2,000 years ago. And so the last two weeks, Zach has preached through the introduction and, and that first prayer in the book. And two weeks ago, Zach told, told us about Paul's love for the Christians at Philippi. He, he just loved them. He felt like they were partners with him in his ministry and how important that was. And then last week, he walked us through Paul's prayer for the Philippians. He prayed that, that they would have uh, abounding in love and that they would have uh, deeper knowledge of God and discernment, and, and, and that they would just grow in Christ's likeness. And then that leads directly to this first part of our passage today. Because I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And do you know what this sounds like to me? This sounds like one of those situations where someone does something and they kind of regret it, but whenever they talk about it with a friend, they kind of justify it after the fact. Like Paul says, oh, it's, it's, it's really for the best that I'm in prison right now. It's like, okay, Paul, I don't know about that. Or, or like, you know, it's, you heard someone say, it's like, uh, oh, I'm so glad that we painted our house that mustard yellow. It is visible. Or, or like, oh, I'm so glad that we bought the upgraded model. Only $1,000 for two extra cup holders was so worth it. 
Or if you're like me, I'm so glad that we pay for every single streaming service that's out there because then we can watch whatever shows we want. And then you just watch YouTube uh, and Netflix and never watch anything else. But that's fine. You know, I'm glad we have it, right? I think that's what it feels like here to me. It's like Paul is saying he's in prison. He's like, you know, it's, it's good. It's good that I'm in prison. This is a good thing. And, it's, and I just want to say, Paul, prison's bad, okay? This is not a good thing that's happening to you. Usually, you don't have to convince people of that. But it turns out that Paul doesn't see it that way. See, what, what maybe looks like to me is someone trying to justify after the fact is really just a different perspective on things. See, Paul has a different perspective on what's happening to him, and, and it's wild. I, it's not normal. Paul genuinely thinks that what's happening to him is good. And not just that, he is excited about it. He rejoices in it. And I mean this, this has got to be the sign that Paul's lost it, right? It, it's like he's in jail, and he's written the, the Philippian church uh, like a postcard, a wish you were here postcard, like picture of him on the beach, but instead he's sitting in a jail cell or something. But it is a good thing, because from Paul is looking from a different perspective. And from Paul's perspective, he has a different set of priorities, and so that's what we're going to see today in our text. We're going to jump in and we're going to figure out how in the world does Paul get to the point where he says that this has happened to me to serve and advance the gospel. And so we're going to see while we're digging this text, we're going to see three things. We're going to see Paul's perspective. We're going to see Paul's priorities. And then we're going to see the source of Paul's power. Lots of plosives today. Would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. We pray that as we try to sit under your word today, Lord, that you would just open our our ears and our eyes and our heart to your word, uh, like Morgan asked. We just pray, Lord, that that, uh, we could see Paul and see his example that you've preserved for us in your word, and uh, learn, learn what it looks like to better follow you, Jesus, and to learn a different perspective and, and uh, a different order of priorities, Lord. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be glorifying to you, O Lord, our God and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name we say, pray, amen. All right, first thing we're going to do is we're going to see Paul's perspective. Like I said earlier, from Paul's perspective, it's a genuinely good thing that he is in prison right now. In fact, it should be considered a win. And why is that? Well, Paul gives us the reason why. I'm going to read 12 through 14 again. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ." And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So from Paul's perspective, there's two reasons that this is a good thing. The first is that everyone in prison, or everyone, all the guards, the imperial guard, know why he's in prison. 
And the second is that the other believers around him are becoming more bold. And so here's, that, here's why Paul thinks that is a win. So first, because everyone knows that Paul is in prison because of Jesus. So for Paul, being put in prison because of Jesus is a good thing. And it's a good thing because he's starting to get associated more closely with Jesus. So in a sense, Paul is becoming more aligned with Jesus in a special way. He recognizes that being in prison because he is preaching the gospel actually is uniting him with Jesus. And why is that? Well, there's a theme in the New Testament, especially in Paul's letters, where we see that because Jesus suffered and was treated unfairly, we who follow him will experience the same kind of thing. And because of that treatment, we're actually growing closer to him. The idea is that because we're experiencing what he experienced, like we're walking in his shoes, walking in his footsteps in that. And in fact, Jesus promises. He promises that the world is going to treat us much the same way that they treated him. You know, John fifteen eighteen says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before you. And he goes on to say in that passage, you know, some of the people, they love Jesus, and they're going to love you too. And some of the people, they hated Jesus, and they're going to hate you too. The idea is that when we follow Jesus, more often than not, we're going to get the same kind of responses that Jesus would get. And so for Paul, on one level, this is good news. It's good news because he's, becoming, he's being imprisoned for preaching about Jesus, just like Jesus was imprisoned, arrested and imprisoned, for preaching about himself. It's like, for Paul, it's like a sign. He's like, I'm on the right track. I'm doing the right thing here. And I mean, that's a kind of a wild idea for us today, right? Like, if right now the police storm the door, they knock out on the doors, and then they come up and arrest me while I'm preaching the gospel... My first inclination would not be, yes, it's finally happening. You know, my hope is that if it were to happen, if I were were to be arrested for preaching the gospel, that I would have the kind of grace that Paul does, that I could rejoice and say, okay, this is good. But man, I, I don't know that that's what I would experience. But you know, more realistically, Here, right now, in Madison, Wisconsin, the year 2022, that's not really what we face, is it? You know, this is not the kind of thing that really happens to us. In in the culture around us, people don't really get so much angry at the gospel. Now, they, they get angry at some other parts of the Bible. We see that. But so far, nothing's illegal to say about the gospel. No, I would guess that most of us experience something very different. It's not people lashing out in anger because of the gospel, but indifference to the gospel. You know, the culture around us is is not worked up about the gospel. And it doesn't love the gospel either. It couldn't care less. I think we see this in, in popular culture. Like, how casually do different shows talk about Jesus and God and, and tell the story in kind of funny ways. You know, I remember in high school, the only time you would ever hear 
a non-Christian talk about Jesus was when he was on Family Guy. And people are apathetic to the gospel. In our culture, they don't see how it has any bearing on their lives, and and they couldn't care less about it. And so ultimately, if we're going to follow Jesus, I think that we're going to see in our culture right now, maybe this changes in the future, but for now, what we see is not hate or violence. It's indifference. So I imagine if Paul is writing this letter to us at the Vine Church today, I imagine that he says something a little different. Maybe something like, and I want you to know that what's happening to me has really served to advance the gospel. See, everyone on my block knows that I follow Jesus. And yeah, they're kind of avoiding me right now, but it's a good thing because they know I follow him. Or maybe he would say something like, I want you to know this is a good thing because Everyone at my office knows that I'm a Christian and that I follow Jesus. And, and so far, they kind of don't want to have conversations with me because they think I'm too religious. But you know, last week, Sharon's dad died. And I get to sit with her and comfort her and share the gospel with her. See, see where Paul faced imprisonment and persecution, right now in Madison, Wisconsin, we don't face that. Like Morgan said, in other parts of the world, Christians do face that. In other parts of the world, Christians do face imprisonment, death, for what they believe for proclaiming the gospel. But we get the indifference. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with this way that the culture is going to treat us because of the way they treated Jesus? What are we going to do when we finally work up the courage to talk to a friend about Jesus and we tell them the story of the gospel? And they say, okay, cool, that's good for you. You know, the question from this passage is, are you willing to be associated with Jesus if it costs us? And, and what it costs us is a little different. You know, right now it's not costing us our jobs or, or our lives yet. But that rejection is still painful. That indifference to us to what we believe in our core is still painful. It's still a real rejection. So the question is, are we willing to face that rejection, that kind of rejection? Paul was. Paul, Paul delighted in that kind of rejection. He, he saw it as a good thing. He rejoiced in his imprisonment because it meant that he had the honor of suffering for Jesus, his Lord and Savior who suffered and died for him. Paul Paul considered this a special honor. It was a special thing to get to do. You know, part of that joy is that he got to see people around him do the same thing, experience that same boldness. Remember verse 14, Paul said that the other brothers are starting to get bolder and preach the gospel more. You know, Paul is ecstatic about this. He is pumped. See, for Paul, all this experience, all this joy that he's experienced in following Jesus is being compounded because others are doing the same now. They're becoming bold and and speaking the word without fear. 
I mean, why shouldn't they? They're, they're starting to catch Paul's perspective. It's contagious. They see Paul rejoicing in prison for his suffering, and at first, like me, they're like, this guy's nuts. But then they, they hear him talk about Jesus and the Gospels, Gospel, and they realize, I think, what Paul realized. Man, these people can only do so much to me. And the following Jesus is worth that. And I think that if Paul were writing to us today, he would encourage us to this kind of boldness. I, I think that he would ask us to look at his life and, and to see the ways that, that he suffered, see the price that he paid for following Jesus and proclaiming his name with boldness. And then I think that he would say, without blinking, it was 100% worth it. No question. I would do it again in a heartbeat. See, Paul doesn't do this because, oh, he has to. Oh, he's got he's to suffer for Jesus. For Paul, this is a source of joy for some reason. It's because his perspective is different. For, for Paul's perspective, any suffering for Jesus is worth it. Anytime we align ourselves with Jesus and we pay some kind of a price for it, it's worth it. But that kind of perspective, it doesn't just show up overnight. It takes a different set of priorities. And what we see here is, man, Paul had a very different set of priorities than I do. And we see that here in the rest of the passage. In verses 15 through 18, it says this, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So what we see is, you know, Paul just said people are preaching the gospel more boldly. And we see that those people fall into two groups. The first group is preaching the gospel out of love. They love Jesus. They love their neighbors. They're making disciples. They're following the Great Commission. This is classic Christian stuff right here. But the second group is kind of a rotten bunch. So this, this group somehow is, is preaching the gospel out of envy and rivalry. And we don't know for sure what that means. There's some ideas. But what we do know is that they're specifically doing it in order to hurt Paul. And they're doing it out of envy in order to make him suffer more. And so the point that we should see is that they're doing it from a bad heart. And how does Paul respond? How does, he, how does he respond when he sees that people are, are weaponizing the gospel in order to hurt him? He says, wonderful. That's wonderful. And, and again, I have to ask, Paul, are you sure about that? I mean, you said yourself these people are out there preaching the gospel for really awful reasons. Are you sure you're okay with this? Are you sure this is a good thing? And are you sure that you're still rejoicing in that? 
And I think the truth is that I think that because I have a different set of priorities than Paul does. See, when I hear stories about people preaching the gospel for terrible reasons, it makes me angry. You know, I don't know if you've heard this podcast yet, but there's a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's a very interesting, very interesting podcast. It starts, it follows the story of, of Mars Hill Church, this church in Seattle, Washington, from about 96 to 2014. And especially it follows the story of the, the lead pastor, Mark Driscoll. And you know, Mark Driscoll, he, he was a rough character. But he preached the gospel. Most of the time, it was a pretty faithful representation. It was a little rough around the edges, but he preached the gospel. And over time, the church, it grows and it grows. And there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people attending the church. And all the while, things are kind of falling apart. And I won't go into too much of it. You know, if you want to know what happened, listen to the podcast. But let me warn you, it's a hard story to hear. And it's a hard story because at the end of it all, what you see is at the center of all this pain seems to be Mark Driscoll. And at the center of this collapsing church is this guy, the pastor. And, and though he was preaching the gospel, it would really seem to me like he was not doing it for good reasons. You know, there's a classic line from one of his sermons where he just screams and shouts. He says, how dare you? Who do you think you are? And man, when a lot of us listen to that podcast, we were saying, how dare you, Mark Driscoll? Who do you think you are? But after reading this passage, man, I'm convinced Paul would have a little bit of a different perspective on this. I think he'd say, yeah, that's fine. Why, Paul? Why? It's because Paul had a different set of priorities. See, Paul it was f- focused first and foremost on the preaching of the gospel. Man, he knew that messed up people were going to preach the gospel at some point. He knew it was going to happen. How did he know that? Because he knew he was messed up. And he also knew that judgment was coming for those who would use the gospel as a weapon or use the gospel for selfish reasons. There's a lot of passages in the New Testament about wolves and sheep's clothing. A lot of passages about people who proclaim the gospel but use it to hurt. See, Paul knew all that. And he was not alarming because Paul knew that sooner or later someone would do this. He knew it was just a matter of time. But more than that, he knew that as long as someone was proclaiming the gospel, that it could still be good. See, that's what he says here at the end of our passage in verse 18. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So for Paul, his number one priority is that the gospel is proclaimed. He rejoices. 
whether people do it to hurt him or do it out of love, for him, his priority is the preaching of the gospel. Did he not care about people doing these painful things, these really wrong things to others? Of course he cared. And God cares. He cares very much about that. But Paul knows that at the end of the day, Jesus' name is being proclaimed. And that God will use that. And man, I don't know about you, but that is not my priority, always. I wish it was. Yeah, I wish I could stand here and tell you my biggest priority is that Jesus' name is made known. But that's a lie. I wish it was. I wish I could tell you that, that I don't get mad when people do things out of spite to me. I wish I could tell you that, that when we see other churches grow, I don't get, start to question myself, start to question things. I, I wish that I could tell you that I don't get jealous when other people are praised for doing ministry. I wish I could tell you that I was not like that, but I am. And I know how petty that sounds. It is. I know how childish that sounds. It is. Because I don't have the same priorities as Paul did. If I did, I don't think that I would struggle so much for looking for approval over looking for Jesus' name to be made known. The truth is that I need a priority change. I need a perspective shift like Paul had. I need what Paul had. And where did Paul get these? Where did Paul get this priority set or this perspective? Where did he get these? Where does Paul get the power to just pursue Jesus' fame with his whole life? And of course, he gets it from the gospel. Friends, what we have to see today is that Paul understood the gospel on a level that transformed him in so many ways. And as we start to think about how we should respond today too, I want us to consider the gospel as well. See, Paul understood three things about the gospel. Things that I so desperately need to grasp and internalize. First, he understood that because of the gospel, we live in light of eternity now. Paul knew that the worst thing that these guys could do to him was kill him. But that even that couldn't stop him indefinitely. And how does he know that? Well, because Jesus was arrested. He went through a mock trial. He was beaten and mocked even though he was innocent. And then he was executed. And Jesus died on the cross, but the story didn't end there. Jesus rose from the grave, and he defeated death. And not only that, he promised all of his followers that one day he would come back, and that on that day they would rise from the grave too. See, Jesus showed us that death is not the end. The grave couldn't stop him, and it won't stop us. So we can have confidence. We have confidence that Jesus knows our suffering. He knows what it's like. To be treated unfairly, to be arrested unfairly, to be imprisoned, to be killed. He knows what that's like. But ultimately, he promised that those things don't have the final word. He does. 
And the second thing Paul saw in the gospel is that this hope for new life starts now. See, Paul knew that because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that we can have right relationship with God. See, what in the world could possibly change someone? What could possibly transform someone like having a relationship with their creator? Paul knew that when people have encounters with the gospel, lives change. Things get better. Relationships can start to repair. The Lord can heal hearts and minds. He starts to change people so that they no longer weaponize truth and instead speak the truth in love. So we have to remember that. We have to remember the gospel is good news not just because we're going to rise again someday in Jesus. The gospel is good news on this end of eternity because right now Jesus is alive and he wants us to be whole following him. And finally, Paul saw the gospel as the ultimate victory. See, by all accounts, the, the story of the gospel, the story of the cross especially, looks like a loss, doesn't it? You know, Jesus is arrested for crimes he didn't commit. He's beaten and mocked. He's ultimately killed. I mean, if the story ends there, that's a bad story. But it doesn't end there. The gospel goes on to tell us that Jesus rose from the dead and that he defeated sin and death. The gospel shows us that Jesus went to war with sin and death and evil and won. And we get to celebrate that victory with him. How can Paul be so confident while he's sitting in prison? Because he has already won. Why is Paul so excited that other believers are getting more bold in preaching the gospel? Because he sees that they're starting to get that they've won too. And why in the world doesn't it bother Paul that these people are out there preaching the gospel just to hurt him? Because what could they possibly do to stop him now? Jesus has already secured the victory. These guys don't stand a chance. So Vine Church, I want to challenge us today with this. Paul's perspective and his priorities are good things for us to have. What we see in this passage is an example of Paul experiencing joy and peace and love despite his circumstances. Because of his perspective and his priorities. And that's all because of the gospel. As we come to grasp the gospel more, the Lord will do incredible things in our lives because of that, through his spirit, because of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for everything you give us, for your word. We thank you for the gospel, Lord. The the power of the gospel is that this life is not everything that we live in light of eternity now. That because of the gospel, we also can have transformation now. That you're at work in our hearts, Lord, through your spirit. And Lord, we rejoice that the ultimate victory is yours. That we will not be put to shame. That you have won. And that we're on the winning side. 
We thank you, Lord, for everything you give us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So we got a couple questions today. Houston, are there any modern day examples of Paul? Um, okay, actually, there, there's a story um, of a pastor in China, Pastor Chen. You may have heard this story before. Um, and he was uh, a pastor in China, and he was imprisoned for um, being a follower of Jesus and for preaching the gospel to people. And I want to encourage you to look this up. It's, it's a beautiful story, and there's a beautiful song that he sings in it. But he had this experience where um, he wanted so desperately some like alone time, just to, just to pray, just to uh, think about the word, spend some time with Jesus. Uh, but they wouldn't let him have it. They spent every moment you know, distracting him or doing something to him. And so he just prayed, Lord, I just pray for a moment of silence and peace. And then to punish him, um, they sent him to work the cesspool. It's, it's a big prison facility, and it's very gross. They give him just the, the nastiest job they could possibly give him, and he's got to go work in it, and, and he hates it. He's just like, oh, this is so gross, disgusting. He's really suffering for it. And then one day, it like clicks for him that he got the answer to his prayer, that he, he prayed for solitude, so that he could spend time praying to the Lord and, and memorizing or remembering the scripture and, and singing. And he got it now because, because he had this nasty job. No one wanted to be around him anymore. The guards left him alone. And so it's this really interesting story. Again, I think you should look it up. Pastor Chen. It's this really beautiful story of, of this Chinese pastor who is just witnessing Jesus in this prison. You know, everyone in the prison, they can hear him singing about God and, and hear him singing about his joy, even though he's got the worst possible job in this prison. And it's, it's a wild story. It's really beautiful. And I, and I think the truth is that there's examples like that all over the world now. Even in our context, there, there are people who preach the gospel really faithfully and really winsomely, and uh, yeah, I, I think there are absolutely modern day examples, modern day examples of Paul. Just that I think that in America, the way we see that play out is is a little different than in some of these more uh, like restricted countries. Yeah. Uh, okay, I got one more. Houston, do you think the American church in general and the Vine Church in particular need to be more bold? If so, how? Great question. I don't know. Uh, man, I, I, I know I need to be more bold. I, I've got friends who don't know Jesus, and uh, sometimes it's all too easy for me not to talk about Jesus with them. All the time. It's all too easy not to. I think, it's like what I said earlier, it is really easy to just have a good friendship and to just kind of skate by and not talk about things of, of eternal consequence. Um, because there's that rejection involved. You know, it's like, it's like the, there's that, for me, fear that if I tell them about Jesus, that they're going to think I'm, one, crazy or weird, or two, reject him, 
And that feels really heavy. And then reject me because of it. So I, I don't know about you. I don't know about everyone else, but I know that I experienced that. I need more boldness desperately. Um, because the truth is that, like, it says, you know, how so? I think that, I think the truth is that if, if I believe the gospel, if I believe that this is not just, you know, this is not just a story about something that happened 2,000 years ago, but this is actually the story of how people can have their lives transformed and, and come to know Jesus and, and again, just experience his life. It's not just like, like a morality thing, like, oh, you should, know, you should do this. It's like, no, this is actually the good news for them in their life right now. This is the thing they need to hear because it's a thing I need to hear. Does that make sense? Okay, well, uh, I'm going to just pray for us one more time uh, before we get into communion. Lord, we just pray. We pray for those modern-day examples of Paul. We pray for those people throughout the world who are suffering, who are in prison for your name. Lord, we just pray for you to just pour out your grace on them, Lord. God, we pray for those in our area, in Madison, Wisconsin, who are preaching the gospel, and maybe they're not experiencing imprisonment or loss of job, um, but they're probably experiencing some level of alienation, Lord. And we just pray for peace for them. And we just pray for us as we try to figure out what it means to boldly proclaim your name, to follow you, to love you, and love those around us well. We just pray for your grace. Uh, man, I know I'm not going to do it well, Lord, but I also know that at the end of the day that you have grace for me. And also at the end of the day, I can't ruin your plans. And so I just pray that you'd work through us, Lord, and, and give us, yeah, like, like the church in Acts, that you would give us greater boldness, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just flood us and that we would have boldness to proclaim the truth of the gospel. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.